I'm Larry, and I'm an alcoholic. Pat called me the other day, a few days ago, and I was watching a basketball game. I'm used to Pat asking these things on the spur of the moment. I said, yeah, yeah, no problem, we'll take care of it. So I go outside, my boiler room to the house is outside, and I'm walking through the door to the boiler room, and God damn it hits me. Oh, shit, he's talking convention. It's big-time stuff. And panic hit. <laughs> I don't mind telling you. People have been asking me all week, all, all this weekend, you know, about, are you nervous? Goddamn right I'm nervous. <laughs> Feel like I'm ass deep in alligators. <laughs> I was talking to some guys last night, and I was telling them, you know, we really weren't supposed to be here. Had no plans of coming. I said, I don't know why I'm here. Somebody wise said, you're just supposed to be here. God takes care of those things. Made me feel a little bit better. I said, yeah, okay. Some wise ass happened to roll by and overhear the conversation. He said, you know, when you got a hole that needs filled real bad, you use anything you can find. Made me feel about like a lost condom, didn't have no place to fit nothing. <laughs> anyway, you sure Paul didn't show up? I've been praying for that son of a bitch all day. <laughs> and don't look like he's going to make it. Anyway, my sobriety date's May the 18th, 1976. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. The program of Alcoholics Anonymous is truly a gift to somebody like me. Because I didn't know anything about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I didn't know what you had, and I didn't come banging on your damn doors to see what you had, because I knew that I needed you and all this sort of stuff. It didn't work like that. You just was there at a time when I desperately needed something in my life. And I have a, I have a great admiration for this program because when we talk about restoring life to us this is exactly what it's done for somebody like me when we didn't have no life and it seems as though I was looking up out of the pits of hell and I could see the other people in the countries and uh, around about me that was enjoying the good things and all this crap was happening to Larry and I couldn't understand what was happening in my life I couldn't understand what was happening in our home but you see, I didn't know anything about the disease called alcoholism. I knew nothing of those things. I didn't know about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now I live in a small town of Grandview, a short distance from here. And by God, we don't live out in the boonies or something like this. We're not, we're not just plumb away from everything. But I didn't hear anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and, you know, my alcoholism blocked off things for me that I didn't want to hear. So I didn't know where you was at. I didn't know there was this kind of help around. But when the time came and God saw fit, he placed people in my life and he placed this program in my life. And by God, I ain't been the same since. The day I walked through your doors and I had a cup of coffee, something happened to this guy. And I haven't been the same since. And the excitement has still been there these 16 years. 
It just keeps getting better. And I love it. I love what it has done for me. I love what it's done for you, you know. Through all this bullshit that I've experienced these two days, just kind of trying to keep my stuff together, even, for this occasion, uh, I, I loved what I saw in your faces. I love this camaraderie that we have in this common bond of recovery. God, the book says we are people who normally do not mix. And I can identify with that. You know, these guys that have spoke, you know, they don't have anything in common with me. Hell, I own a body shop. I'm in the auto body business. I don't know anything about the attorney business. Know a little bit about insurance. I deal with those suckers a lot. <laughs> that part I can do. No offense, John. <laughs> Through this program, I've, I've got so I can get along with those guys a little bit, too. So, uh, God, there's a lot of good things going on. I just hope I can get my shit out of the way long enough to tell you what this thing was, was really about in our life. Because there's some things that I talk about, and one of them is, is God. Don't let that spook you. It's a God of your understanding, not of mine, you know. Big book, sponsorship and meetings. And by hell, I don't know a hell of a lot else about this program. I'm not the guru of it. I don't know a lot of, I don't know how this thing really works. I just know that somehow it works for me, you know. And, and I, I, I found a man in this fellowship that planted a simple idea in my head that set me free. And later on, I'll tell you about this guy because it's very important. You know, I didn't start drinking like a little, you know, when I was a little teeny bopper or anything like this. I was supposed to be a mature adult to know what the hell was going on in my life. But let me, let me go back a little bit further than that. Now then, if you can't identify with the way I drink and things like this, don't, don't worry about that crap. But I'll tell you one thing that's unanimous among us all that you can't identify with. And that's the way we feel and that's those emotions that we have been. We can all identify with those things. God, when I read Bill W's story, I can identify with that sucker. When he talked about he had arrived, I can remember that. When he talked about, you know, in his sumptuous apartment, things just wasn't right, I can identify with that. You know, so we can identify in, in that manner. So I hope that you, I, can, I can get that across to you. But anyway, long before alcohol came into my life, there, there was certain, I remember the time when I was a youngster, when I was at peace and ease with myself, and there was happiness in my life. I didn't know fear and I didn't know resentment, and everything was okay. Now, see, I come from a poor family, lived out in the hills of, of southern Indiana, but I didn't know it. I didn't know about that, and it didn't bother me. And then one day, along about the third grade, man, I remember these times because something happened up here. I was going to school. And, and, you know, I'd, I'd never noticed my britches before. But they had some patches on them. That's common things. All those kids around there wore patches, but everybody in school didn't, see? And some little smartass made a remark about my britches having holes in them, patches on them. And I come home and I talked to mom and daddy about this, and I said, how come? I said, you know, this is all we can afford. They're okay. You'll be all right. But, uh, you know, all of a sudden... Something was happening with me here because I went back to school and I resented that little bastard that said something about my britches. <laughs> and all of a sudden I began to develop a resentment be towards my parents 
because they couldn't give me the things that other folks seemed like the other kids had. And it just seemed like from that point on, I started getting uncomfortable in my life. And I really didn't know why. I really didn't. I went this, through this scenario of trying to fit and trying to belong and trying to please. And it didn't seem like I could ever measure up to whosever standards I was trying to measure up to. I really didn't know. But I wanted everybody's approval uh, of what I was doing. I wanted them to pat me on the head and say, you're a good little boy, you know. Everything's okay. I wanted to recapture that sense of peace and ease and happiness that I felt at one time. And you know, by God, I never did get that back till I got drunk come to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I never did. You know. When alcohol finally came into my life, and I can hope that I can put this in some form of order that you can understand, see. But sometimes up here I kind of, you know, I killed a lot of brain cells up here, and sometimes I just kind of drift off, so don't, don't worry about it. We'll catch all that back up, and we'll get back on the right track somewhere along the line. But anyway, when alcohol did come into my life, I was married. And I have to go back a little bit about this, this girl that I married, because she, she was the joy of my life at that time. And before we got married, uh, I was active in this good Southern Baptist church. And there was something else going on, too. I don't know what it is about Southern Baptist churches. I really don't. But I know one damn thing. I couldn't do nothing in that church that didn't leave me feeling uh, guilty. It just left me feeling guilty. It just didn't matter. See. It seemed like that anything that I'd done, if I looked at it, smelt of it, or touched it, it was wrong, and I felt guilty. And I couldn't understand those things. They seemed to be a knot in the pit of my stomach at all times, and yet I worked hard in that church to get over this stuff. Anyway, I, I met this pretty little black-headed, black-eyed girl, and Lord, I, I thought I was falling in love. I really did. Eventually, I did, but at that time, you know, I was just, there was something else coming about. <laughs> And when you were that age, you know what it is, see. Well, there was something different about this girl. And, and, you know, she wasn't like the rest of them. And when I began to try those things that, that young guys do with the pretty young girls, she drew a, a line to it. Now, I don't know whether for sure she knew anything about the book of Alcoholics Anonymous or not. But I can tell you this, we dated for a while and things wasn't happening on my side of it too well. Not the way I'd planned anyway. And she whipped something on me like, you know, if you want what I have and are willing to go to any length to get it, <laughs> and by God, you're ready to take certain steps. <laughs> now, at some of these, I balked. I was sure they'd got to be an easy, softer way, but they wasn't, and we got married. <laughs> you know. We stayed active in this church, and everything seemed to be going okay, but the emptiness was still there, and I didn't know what it was. It seemed like whatever I'd done, it just wasn't fulfilling. Marriage was okay at that time. But I didn't know what a good marriage was supposed to be. I didn't know what a good relationship was supposed to be. I'd lost all that someplace. We was both active in business. I had my auto body business then, and uh, she was in the insurance business. Now, drinking wasn't a part of our life, because in, in Southern Baptist churches, drinking just isn't a part of your life if you stay active in that church. 
But we begin to go to these other social things, uh, business functions and social gatherings, and alcohol was served in those places, you know. And I would see prominent men of affluence in our community drinking. And there wasn't nobody pointing the finger at them and said, you had not all to drink that stuff because you're going to die and go to hell if you do. And I began to look at things a little bit. Now, I was uncomfortable going to these functions. I was really uncomfortable. And I took my first drink because I was very uncomfortable. The emotions and the feelings I had made me a sitting duck for alcoholism. I just didn't know it. But we had a party to go to one night, Christmas party. Uh, New Year's party is what it was. And they had this beautiful buffet table all set out, and, and everything was nice, and it was lovely, and, and they had the punch, and, and, and I, I, I made up my mind before I come to that damn thing I was going to drink. You know that? Because I'd done seen what had happened to other people when they drank. It just seemed like when they took a drink, something happened up here, and they just felt good. You could just see it coming over them. They just felt good. And I, I knew that I wasn't feeling that way. But when I went to this, this party, I, I took some of that magic stuff. And I guarantee you the magic happened with me. Because I had no peers then. And I knew that I was the, uh, the person at the party, see. I knew I was it. I knew I had arrived. But there's a lot of other things happened since then that I, you know, I can look back on and tell what happened. See, I drank everything in sight at that party. And there was another thing that I, that I, I would have never recognized it because I didn't know anything about it. But the other singular thing is simply this. There was people there that, that drank because they wanted to drink. See? And they drank all they wanted to drink. See? They'd have a couple of drinks, three drinks, something like this. They'd say, that's all. That's all I want. I've got to go to work tomorrow. I've got to drive home or something like this. And, and they recognized something that I never did recognize all the time that I drank. And that was that precise moment when they was beginning to lose control. See, when they felt like they was getting drunk, they had that out-of-control feeling. Hell, I had that in-control feeling every time. See? I felt like I was doing okay. And if it worked good, man, more would make it work better. And that's the way I always drank. I always drank to get drunk. I like that. I can identify with a part in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous says that people like me drink for effect. I didn't like the taste of that shit, but boy, I liked, the, I liked what it done for me. I loved that. Something else was happening by this time that it started way back when. You see, the wall was building between me and other people in relationships with other people. I remember this scripture that our pastor used to talk about. And he'd talk about these filthy rags, see. And I remember that old Southern Baptist church. And that preacher would get up there and I'd be sitting in those back pews and he'd make that altar call and those people start singing those old hymns coming home. Oh, you know, all you lost children, come on home. And, and, and God, the guilt had come over me. It was unreal. And I'd make my way to that altar because I needed some relief. And I'd get up there and the preacher would pray over me and he said, it'd be all right now, Larry, it'd be all right. And I never felt any damn different. And I always thought, I must be doing something wrong. I must still be that filthy rags that he's talking about. God don't like me. I don't understand this. I really didn't. But you see, I never understood God. I never had a God of my understanding till I come to the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. We went into the service, and we got out of 
got out of that thing when Vietnam was smoking and I come back and we moved to a little town, Grandview, which is our hometown now. And all of a sudden we began to join everything in sight. We became joiners along about that time. And I know why that is today, because I was looking for a place to land and I was looking for a place to fit in, a place to belong, and I hadn't found it yet. After that first drunk that I told you about, it seemed like the pages just flipped. And all of a sudden I began to lose friends. And all of a sudden people, places, and things was eating my lunch. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. All of a sudden it seemed as though Laverne had become just an absolute bitch. And I didn't understand that, see. Our marriage was falling apart and I couldn't understand those things. Tragedy was happening in our family and I couldn't understand those things. I had a kid brother that got killed in a car accident. Long about this time, we was in drag racing, and I love this sort of thing. But this, this kid brother that got killed, he was about the only person left that, that had anything to do with me. All the good old Jerry's and the Joe's and people like that was long gone. And I just said, tough shit, that's your loss, you know. I didn't understand why they was leaving, but I didn't understand my, this, this disease. And I think if there's one thing in imperative... I think it's imperative that we understand about this nature of this disease that we have if we're to find a, a solution to this thing. Things continued, the progression went on. And my God, we don't have time to share with you all those things for sure. But I'm going to share with you how it was on my last drunk. Because by now, I'm, I'm, I'm at the back of Ed's Tavern. I used to drive past the back of Ed's tavern every morning going to work and I'd see the wine holes the back of his tavern waiting for the morning medicine and, and I'd say I, I, I'll never be like that I just will never be like that and it seemed like the pages just flipped and there I was at the back of Ed's tavern wanting to get my morning medicine because see by now I had to stop there and get me a pint of dark eyes just to get me through the morning and I've done graduated from all this other stuff and I'm up to dark eyes now see but it doesn't really matter. Whatever you've got to drink, I'll drink by now because I'm drinking to live. And that's all, I, that's all, you know. It seemed like the excitement, I don't know what the hell happened to the excitement of the drinking. See? After this short time period, I, I could never go back and recapture those times when it was fun. And the longer I'm here, the harder it is for me to see any fun involved in my drinking. I remember the hard times. I remember the... Uh, the, the bad scenes at home. See, I know what it is to lay in a gutter drunk. I know what it is to come home and have that wife of mine in tears. I know what it is to lie to her. The lines the way of life with me now. I know what it is to lie to get out of the house. I know what it is to lie to get home and back in the house. See, I'm not normally like this, and I don't know what's happening. See, personality change? Hell yeah, I had a personality change. The real Larry Williams was not like that. He didn't chase his friends off. He didn't lie to people. He wasn't dishonest. But you put alcohol in me, and I'm, I'm something different, see. And I'm not pretty to look at, and I'm not pretty to be around. And there's where my friends left. They're gone, you know. I've got some good drinking buddies at the tavern left. I've got some good buddies out at the Legion that's left. And I've got my blood drinking brother that I drink with every night, you know. He's still there, so I'm okay for right now. See. Time passes, and the pages flip a little further. And by now, I, I'm, I'm making the doctor trips. 
See? Something happens to the physical body when you abuse it with alcohol the way that I did. See? Something's got to give. Now, I ain't no different than a lot of us. First trip I made to the doctor's because I shook so damn much, and I knew it was my nerves. So I went to the doctor to get some for the nerves, and this doctor was no different than many of the rest that we go to because the first damn thing he does for me puts me on some Valium, see? And Jesus Christ, you know what we do with that. We abuse it the way we do with alcohol, see? So I'm taking it along with the alcohol, and, and soon this calls for more, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm hell, I'm up to Thorazine. My wife's given me Thorazine in the little droplets of a morning. And she looks at me one morning and she says, Honey, this stuff's really working. You're not shaking like you used to. <laughs> Shit, yes, you missed that with, with, with vodka. You ain't going to shake. You're goddamn near paralyzed, you know. <laughs> but we survive that stuff. And it, it's a miracle in itself that we do. I'm going to an old Doc Joe down at Evansville by now. Wife's health, she's already made the hospital trips. She made them before I do. She's already into blackouts before I was. You know, I can't, I can't remember a hell of a lot of what happened to me when I drank because I was in blackouts a goddamn much. See? She can tell you more about it because she was sober most of the time. But a lot of times her mind was affected too. So we know well about this thing called this family disease of alcoholism because I saw it about destroy this person. And, and it hurt me. It tore at my heart because I loved her very much. And yet, for some damn reason or other, I couldn't show that love, and I couldn't express it, and I couldn't help her because I was too sick. And when you got two sickies in a household, I got a well that will not make. And let me tell you something else. There is no more a miserable place on God's green earth to try to live than there is in a home where this love has been stripped from you. Alcohol strips from us those things that we love most It'll do it first every goddamn time. And that's what it done in our home. It took the love out. And our home was no longer that haven, that safe place, that place of rest, that place that I want to go to. No, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to be there. And I wasn't any more than I had to be. Because it, it, there was too much pain there. There was too many things that I couldn't deal with. And all of a sudden, my business had gone down the tubes, too, and I didn't know what the hell was going on there because I didn't know anything about this disease. Now, there was a short time period when I sought to get some help because I knew that something in my life wasn't right. And a lot about then, all the do-gooders in the whole goddamn country was coming around trying to help me straighten things up, and it didn't seem to work. And I'd gone to the doctors, and I'd gone to the shrinks, and, and they all told me the same thing. Larry, you're drinking too much. I said, my God, if you got to live with what I do, you, you drink too. And that's, that's, that's what I've done. I didn't pay any attention to them. And, and as a consequence, things got worse. I wasn't able to get off. See, alcohol had become the power in my life, the absolute power in my life. Now, this last drunk, I'd been going to Dr. Joe for some time. And uh, I went down to see him down at Evansville, and I came home. One, yeah, I think the best we can reconstruct this, it was sometime over a weekend. And I came back home. And by this time, I'm, hell, I'm losing my car and I'm losing my way around town, around Grandview. You can't get lost in Grandview, but I could. It's, it's such a small town. I could go out the front door and I couldn't figure my way back in. 
And I hated these times of day when, when the sun was going down and it was twilight. It, you know, it's just this time. And I couldn't figure out whether it was time for it to come up or time for it to go down. See? I hated those times. Write myself notes so I'd know what to do, and then I couldn't read the notes. Life had become a pain in the ass. It really had. You know. I, I, just felt like, I just felt like a big fat nothing burger with nowhere to go. And life was frustrating. Life was becoming desperate. And I go back to old Doc Joe again. Same thing. By now, man, I weigh about 240 pounds. And I've got jaundice. I'm yellow as a pumpkin. And I've got some running sores on my body. And I'm not a pretty thing to look at. Now, some folks will say that ain't changed a hell of a lot, but by God, it has, let me tell you. It has. Oh, Doc Joe tells me the same thing, but I don't hear it. He says, Larry, you're drinking too much. You're killing yourself, and you're going to have to quit. I come back home, and I stop by the liquor store, and I said, by God, maybe I just ain't been drinking like I normally do. And I stopped and picked up me three-fifths of some booze, and I come on back home. It's hundred-proof dark eyes. And something happened that weekend that was to put a fear in me like I've never known before. Now, let me tell you, alcoholics know fear. We know fear better than any people on the face of God's green earth. But this was a fear that only the alcoholic will know and understand. I began to drink, and I began to get serious about my drinking. And nothing was happening. This stuff wasn't working with me anymore. And it was about to scare me to death. I couldn't get drunk. I couldn't get a buzz on and I couldn't get the herd out of up here, and I couldn't get the herd out of that liver down there. And it always worked before, but by God, it, it wasn't working anymore. And I went into severe DTs, and I went into hallucinations. And it scared the hell out of me, and it scared the hell out of Laverne. Because, see, I knew how to ward these things off before. When I'd feel the shakes coming, by God, I'd just start drinking, and it, it was okay. Everything was okay. It wasn't working like this anymore. Alcohol wouldn't work, and I was scared to death. Sometime over this weekend, my wife had called my brother and, and got me in the hospital. And she took me down to St. Mary's Hospital and dumped my butt off at the front door and said goodbye. This girl had about all of my stuff that she could take. And I checked in that hospital. They'd made the arrangements, and I went in and checked in myself. I'd had a, about a pint of whiskey on the way down, and I, hell, I could motivate a little bit by now. I could, I could walk in and I could talk to people. And, and I got checked in and, and uh, I, I wouldn't go unless I had a, me a private room. You know, I, I just wouldn't do it. And I walked in there and, and they didn't have my room ready. And they put me in a ward with four other guys and they had these TVs hanging from the ceiling. And this, this TV was, was out of sync. It was rolling and messed up. And, and I went up there to help adjust it for this guy in a bed next to me. And that's when the lights went out. I don't remember no more. The next thing I remembered, I come to and I was in my private little room. But I was strapped in that bed and I wasn't going nowhere. And the god awfulest thought hit me that I ever had hit me in my life. With all the justifying and all the reasons that I gave for the condition that I had been in prior to this, uh, I'd never leveled with anybody. And all of a sudden, I knew exactly why I was where I was at. It was because of my drinking. 
Now that, that line of thought didn't last very damn long. But in that, in that split moment was all that I needed. That split moment of surrender was all that I needed to allow God to come in and do some things for me he'd been wanting to do for a hell of a long time, but I just wouldn't let him. But see, I gave him the door, the door open just a little bit when I, when I knew that I was there because of my drinking. The thing that got to me, that touched me most, was simply this. While I was at my worst in that hospital, now let me tell you, I was there by myself. My wife wasn't there. My Masonic brethren wasn't there. My Legion members wasn't there. And my blood drinking brother wasn't there. there. These people had had about all of my shit that they wanted. And I was there by myself. And a nurse come in and was talking to me one evening. And she was telling me about a man that came and spent days and nights with me when I was at my worst. Now have you ever spent any time with an alcoholic at his worst? We're not a pretty sight to look at. We're cussing, raving, sick, maniacs and we don't smell good and we don't look good and we're nasty to be around and yet here's a man that that I, I never knew that was willing to spend time with me and I I'm saying to myself why what the hell's his angle what does he want from me you see today I know exactly why that man was there there but by the grace of God that could be me thank God it's you instead of me Maybe if you get well, we can help you. And I'm sure that he did, because I got better. And from this point on, let me tell you, the story gets a hell of a lot better. Because from that point on, I, was, I got out of that hospital. I spent, I don't know, three, four weeks in there, don't really know. And I was able to go to a treatment center, and they took me to that treatment center in a wheelchair. And I can't tell you a whole lot about this treatment center or what went on there. But I can tell you this. I went to some AA meetings, and I got introduced to this program, and, and, and things started getting a little bit better for me. I started eating three squares a day, and I started feeling a little bit better, and, and I thought, I'm going to be okay. I may live yet. I didn't really know what to do with myself, so I just kind of let people pull me around and, and point me in the direction that they wanted me to go, and I went, you know. I went to some meetings in Evansville. My wife and I drove, it's about 80 miles from where we live, a round trip, and we'd go there three and four nights a week because we didn't know about meetings anyplace else in the country. Hell, we thought, we thought Evansville was the only damn place in the world had meetings. We didn't know anything about this stuff. But people was kind to us, see. They was very kind to us. And I was not one of those that could walk up to you in a meeting and say, hey, I'm Larry and I'm an alcoholic and I need your phone number because I might need your help someday. I couldn't do those things. I would sit in the back farthest part of that room and hope that you didn't speak to me, hope that you didn't say anything to me. But in spite of myself, you came to me and you shook my hand because I obviously looked like somebody that needed help. Same thing happened to Laverne. She was attending some Al-Anon meetings, and, and, you know, by this time, we hadn't talked to one another for years. We hadn't communicated at all, 
And we would drive to Evansville in silence, and on the way back, you know what was happening? We began to talk a little bit about our meetings. Well, I heard this in that meeting. They talked about God in that meeting. They talked about getting well, some things like this. And gradually, we began to get a little bit better in that, in that area of communication because of, of this program. We began to have something in common once again, and it's called recovery. We was trying to get well together. And I thank God that I had a wife that was still there that was willing to help me get well and was willing to, to get well herself. We attended meetings there for some time. And, and I thought, you know, I was, I was feeling very good. And I thought that, you know, everything was okay. I wasn't drinking. And six months later, I'm back to work. I'm, my, my shop's doing good. And, and everything seems to be okay. And I'm going to meetings, and I'm even chairing a few meetings. And all of a sudden, something happens. Man, I get irritable, restless, and discontent again. And I say, what the hell's going on? God, I'm going to meetings. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But you see, there was an old man down down there at that time. His name's Mel Hibner, and the Mel's gone. He was an old railroad man that had a good AA program. Mel was talking to me at the back of a meeting one time about our, our step programs, and he's asked me where I was at. I said, oh, hell, Mel, I'm, I'm through them. I'm through them. I'm doing okay. I got them all memorized. <laughs> he said, you phony son of a bitch, if you hadn't took a good fourth and a fifth step, you're going to die drunk. And man, it jarred me back on my heels, and I said, what's he talking about? Because, see, I'd heard you talk about your 12 steps. I had no idea in the world what they was about. I had no idea what this thing called recovery was about. I was just hanging around here, and, and, and I was just getting irritable and restless and discontent all over again, and I didn't understand that at all. God placed people in my life. You bet your buddy did. I was to meet the man that was to become my sponsor. I, I was invited to come to a meeting at Owensboro, and I met a man. His name was Paul Wathan. Now, for those of you that's concerned about anonymity, don't worry about this shit. I got this and covered on first. This man was to be my sponsor. This man presented with me, to me, a simple spiritual idea that was to set me free. And I'm eternally grateful for that. Sponsorship, hell yeah, I believe in sponsorship because it's the thing that saved my butt. You see, I've been going to meetings for seven, eight months by now. And I don't know that I'd ever opened the pages of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I had no idea what the first step was about other than, yeah, I pop up in meetings. I'm an alcoholic. My name's Larry. I had no idea what that entailed because I didn't know the grave nature of this disease. Now, I was in a dilemma, folks, because I had a problem that I didn't know the nature of, and thereby, if I didn't know the nature of that problem, I could not hope to find a solution to it. I had to understand the nature of that problem if I was to understand the nature of the solution. Paul began to point me in the direction of the book, and he set me down, and we spent hours talking. Paul was one of these guys that would talk to you in these parables, see? And I could identify those things with him. 
he could get through to me. Now, I've heard folks get up here and they talk about those hard-nosed sponsors they had. Mine would appear to be that way. But this was a gentle man. He had to be to get to me. He had to be that way. If he'd have been that goddamn hard-nosed and rough with me, we'd have parted company on the first meeting, I guarantee you. But he, he showed me something. He taught me about the hand that was to be extended in love, the hand that was to be extended in the form of help. And he taught me that this is of a spiritual essence. And he taught me about spirituality. I was to understand spirituality like I had never understood it before in my life. I had no concept of spirituality. All I had was some sort of a mixed-up concept about religion, and religion never worked in my life. It always left me feeling empty, mixed up, and guilty as hell. Paul said, I'm going to show you a, a way if you want it. He didn't say I had to. He said, if you want it, this is what we're going to do if you want to do it. He talked to me about this first step, and he helped me to understand the nature of my disease. I came to the profound conclusion that I was an alcoholic. I began to read Silkworth's chapter, and I began to read uh, uh, Bill Wilson's chapter. And in that thing, I could identify. I could understand the allergy concept because I was, a, I was allergic to penicillin, so it made sense. See, he talked to me about these things, and it made sense to me. He talked to me on a level that I could understand. And when he talked to me about God, higher power, whatever you want to call it, he said. He said the main purpose of our book is to help you find that power. He, the thing I didn't like, some of the bitch always called me boy. I never did like that. I don't ever remember him calling me by name until the last few months. You always call me boy. Boy, this is what we're going to do. Boy, have you read this chapter? God, that'd fry me. But you know, I, I, I began to understand that he was saying it with love. He cared for me at a time when I didn't know I had anybody that really cared for me. See, I thought I had become unlovable, and I thought I was still those filthy rags that, I, that this preacher talked about. And I, I knew God didn't care anything for me. And I knew that other people had gave up on me. But somebody placed this man in my life, and it was to change the course of my life forever. You know, he talked to me about this solution, which is in the second step. He talked to me about the insanity of this disease. And he explained to me, Larry, it's not the things that you've done while you was drunk, Hill. Everybody that gets drunk is going to do insane things. They're drunk. They don't know any damn difference, see? You get drunk, you're going to have things happen to you. You're going to wreck your cars. You're going to get in jail. This is a natural happening of getting drunk. said the insane part is, is, is what you do when you're sober. By God, I could begin to understand that. You see, I, I, I ain't never went to jail drinking Pepsis. And I ain't never sat down and drank a case of Pepsis. Alcohol is something different. I could get sicker in hell and all kinds of trouble and get up the next morning at 8 o'clock and I want me a drink of whiskey. With all the, all the crap that it caused me, as sick as I got, the next day I wanted a drink of whiskey. 
And why was that? Because the mind remembered what it used to do for me, not what it's doing for me now. It used to work at one time. My mind was like a, like a computer. It was programmed in. Whiskey's going to do you good. Whiskey got to the point it wouldn't do me good. I understood about that second step when he explained it to me like this. He asked me to make this decision, and I made it, to try this spiritual way of living. Uh, and, and I love the way Paul put that. I really did. He said, has hell just tried, see? But he said, you know, the decision alone wasn't of great value. It's the action that we put forth with that decision, see? You know, I could go to a doctor, I could be sick as hell, and a doctor could, I could go to him, and he could find the nature of my problem. And he'd tell me that, you know, your solution, Larry, is uh, with this bad cold that you've got that he's diagnosed. You need some antibiotics. You go to a drugstore and you get some antibiotics. And it'll, it'll, you take them and it'll be okay. Well, I've got some valuable bits of information put together through this thing. Nature of my problem, nature of my solution. And third step, I, I decided to, to try these things. Now then, if I'd have stopped in this doctor scenario with just the solution or decide that, okay, I will take them, nothing would have happened until I took the damn things, would they? See? So there has to be action. Each step is proof of the pudding of the step before it. Third step is proof of the pudding of the second. Proof of the pudding of the third is the fourth. Paul told me, he said, we're on, a, we're on a journey, my friend, that's going to bring you to a spiritual experience that is sufficient for you to recover. But he said, in that process, there's some roadblocks in the way that we're going to have to get out of the way. And we're familiar with those things. We call them character defects and those sort of things. Listen, I had some of those that had hung around my neck like a millstone and is dragging me down to the bottom. Our program is so uniquely designed that it takes care of the past and the present. I got rid of a whole lot of things in that fourth step. And I felt better about it in the fifth when we talked about it with one another. And in the fifth and sixth and, and, and on through, Paul led me through these things step by step. But he'd done it with such a gentle fashion that I was able to do it. He'd done it with the support he said, I'm with you. You don't have to do it by yourself. For God's sake, don't try to do it by yourself. Remember that you got God's help on your side. You found a power. You're in touch with a power that can help you do these things. Paul taught me the prayer to say. The only singular thing I've done in this damn program since I've been in here that I consider to be right is this one prayer that he taught me to pray. Where I pray only for knowledge of God's will for me today. I ask him for the power to carry that out. I thank him for keeping me sober this past 24 hours. And I ask him to help me stay sober this next 24 hours. And Paul said, shut your mouth before you mess up a good prayer. <laughs> and that's what I do. I ain't never changed that thing. Other than today when I was praying for Paul to come back. <laughs> and that was a mistake, obviously, wasn't it? We worked through the amends. We talked about our amends, and, and God, I'm no different than anybody else. There's some of those things that I didn't want to make. But if I'm to survive, if I'm to be free, then i got to make them, and we did. 
A freedom came that I never knew existed in my life. The hole was plugged, the knot was turned loose, and I felt free, and I felt good. And for once again, the world looked good. It didn't look nasty and rotten, and I didn't feel rotten and dirty like I had in the past. See. Something was happening to my wife, too. She wasn't a bitch anymore. She had become the joy of my life again. My friends were returning, not the old ones. I was being, they were being replaced by new ones. God was placing, placing people in my life again. And I was enjoying things again. I remember one time we'd been at a meeting here in Owensboro and we was talking about resentments and God, I was, I was happy and I was free and I was feeling good and I didn't have none. Next week we had the same meeting again. By God, I went home and looked for one. If you look for a resentment, you can find them. My wife is not a, not a real neat housekeeper, wasn't at that time. This is, this is a classic. It really is, but it, because it happened to me, you know. My wife always left dirty dishes in the sink, and I hate those damn things. I went to Paul, and I said, Paul, I've, I've, I've got this resentment. Man, I hadn't been to him for a long time with a problem, see. I went to him with this resentment. I said, my wife doesn't take care of the house. She leaves things around. The dishes is always piled up. They're dirty and they're nasty. Man, I'm really getting one hell of resentment over that, Paul. I really don't like this situation. Paul looked at me and said, boy, I'm going to tell you what you can do about that resentment, how you can get rid of it specifically. And I thought we was going to get some words of wisdom from the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. He just simply said, go home and do the goddamn dishes. <laughs> Classic lesson, you bet your buns it is. In that little scenario, I learned how to keep resentments from happening, to kill them before they ever come alive in my life. Same story. Go back to Paul one time. Holidays is coming up. I get a resentment because nobody's asking me to go to their damn parties. I don't drink no more. I don't know what the hell. It wasn't, I don't know why I should have one. I, I drink all the time anyway. I guess I just was looking for a resentment. Paul told me the same thing. Have your own damn party. We've been having Christmas parties at my home every year since. A people. Fun. Learned how to keep it from happening. Learned about this thing called prayer. Learned about this thing called belief, faith. Learned the differences from this man called Paul. Belief, because of what he told me. Faith, because I know it works today. My belief turned into faith because of the actions that I produced with a loving God and with a sponsor. And with you people. See. He taught me the essence of this 10th and 11th step. Whereby on a, on a daily basis, I can maintain 
and grow from the point that I'm at. See, I can keep what I got, and I can grow from that. I have to give it away, and I have to stay in contact with this God of my understanding, preparing me for one singular thing, to be of maximum service to all people. I don't know what that service is to be sometimes, but it doesn't really matter. Because today, I'm happy and I'm free. Many things have been restored to my life that I don't deserve. I really don't deserve those things. Another chapter has been added to our lives that we really didn't want, but it came. And we had no control over those things. This man that put this simple spiritual idea into our life and saw to it that it worked came to me this past summer. He said, <clears throat> Larry. I thought, oh shit, what now? <laughs> he don't ever call me Larry. He said, I got a problem and I need your help. Oh, okay, okay. So our relationship kind of turned out that way. It wasn't just my sponsor anymore. See, I came, kind of came his sponsor. It kind of came a, a mutual thing. This thing called sponsorship developed into a friendship, into a loving friendship, into a, a relation that had some substance to it. And we helped one another. Paul often came to me with his own problems, and we'd sit down and discuss those things. And it felt good. It felt good to work them out. You know, he was a challenging man. He liked to challenge, and he liked to figure things out. And we'd do that together. He'd come to me, and he said, I've got a problem. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's work it out. He said, son, I don't think this one we're going to work out. Not the way we usually do. He said, I've got cancer, and I haven't got very damn long to live, and I've got a lot of shit to do before I go. Okay. And I took a back seat, a back step, and I damn near thought I was going to die. This man had saved my ass, saved my home. He's been with me for 15 years. I got pissed off and I got mad and I said, God, you can't do this to me right now because I ain't ready for this. I don't work on God's timetable. He works on, he works on his own. You know. He had better plans for all of us that I don't understand yet this night. We talked about this. He said, I, I, I'm, I've got this cancer problem. And, and the idea of taking chemotherapy or operations and this sort of thing is, it's out. It won't work. He said, the damn odds ain't no good. He said, I'm going to die anyway. But he said, if there's one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to die with dignity. I'm not going to die not knowing what's going on. And he did. And he said, I want you to be my pallbearer. And I said, shit, Paul, I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't have the strength to do that. I said, yeah, you have. You'll be okay. 
You will be okay. Times passed, and Christmas, he came to our party. And the man was very, very sick. But he said, I'm not missing it. I'll be there if I can. And he came. And that was the last function that him and his wife was at, was in my home. My sponsor, sometime later, he was in a hospital and I visited him for a short time there. I didn't go see him a whole lot when he was at his worst because Paul was a very private person and he had family. And we talked about these things. And he said, Larry, I have family to be there. He said, you don't need to be there. He said, when I watch you, I'll call you. And he did. And he'd call me occasionally. And he'd cry and he'd tell me what he was feeling then. He'd tell me what his emotions were at that time. And then, God damn, he'd get over his little crying jag and we'd talk, hey, we'd talk about the big book and we'd talk about God and we'd talk about spiritual things and all the good things that this program has given him and his wife and his family and all the good things it's given me and my wife and our family. And he said, Larry, these things are good. Hang on to them. Hang on to them and pass this damn program on as I've passed it on to you. In the last meeting that he was at, in our Tuesday night group, he spoke. And I was there. And I had some of his grand pigeons there sitting in a row. And it thrilled him to death. Because they come to love him as I've come to love him. Because everything I've got, I owe to him. Everything that I've learned, I owe to him. And it was given to him just like he gave it to me. And I'm grateful for that. We was able to go to his funeral and be the pallbearer. When the word came at our household that Paul had died, I came home from work and Laverne had told me. And I thought I was going to choke to death. It was cold. And I had to get out of that house and I ran down to the river. And I talked to God for a little bit. Man, it was a clear night and the stars was out. And it seemed like a load was lifted from me. And I felt peace and I felt ease. And I could hear Paul saying, Damn it, it's okay. I'm okay. And you're okay. Remember that, son. You're okay. You see, Paul taught me to walk on my own two feet. He didn't he wasn't one of these sponsors that done everything for me. One of the greatest things he ever gave me was the ability to work my program. Was the ability to walk by myself on my own two feet. The ability to study the ability to help, the ability to love people. And as I talked to God, I felt like I was talking to Paul. And I come back home, and I was okay. And I was able to go through that funeral without coming apart at the seams because I knew he was okay. And I knew damn well in the back of my mind that, that the legacy that he left 
I knew this damn program was in awful good hands because of him and countless other ones just like him that's gone on and left us this kind of legacy. See? This thing works. It works because of people like him that took that my sponsor had been sober 29 years and every goddamn Tuesday night he was sitting in the front row of his meetings. He didn't miss them. He didn't quit working with people. He didn't quit helping people. He didn't quit studying his book. He didn't quit listening to tapes. He didn't quit reaching out. And he wasn't trying to change things all the time. He wasn't trying to find a program just, just, to, just to fit his little ideas. He fit his life to the program. I hope I have the ability to do those things. I sincerely do. I appreciate that. Where in the hell is this Slippery Road group at? Where y'all at? Okay, that's my group. I'm a member of the Slippery Road group of Rockport. Last Thursday night, that's part of them. Last Thursday night, I told them I was going to be speaking over here, and I asked him if he's going to come over here and support me. And they said, hell no, we're going to be over here to make sure you don't lie. <laughs> and I'm glad to see them. That's the best damn group in the world, I'm going to tell you that. If you don't like your group, hell, come over and try ours once. You like it, I'm sure you will. Folks, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's been an, uh, an experience. And I'm, I'm really glad this shit's over. <laughs> but let me, let me tell you what a delight you have been and what a great support factor you have been for me. This was not easy because of Paul. It really wasn't. But I know he would be happy. And I know that, by God, I'm thrilled to death that we're all here. Because, yes, I was supposed to be here. And, yes, you were supposed to be here. We don't know exactly what for yet. We'll figure it out somewhere over this weekend. Thanks for being here, and thanks for being such a, an attentive audience. Appreciate it.